the secret to victory? Fail to make the varsity team. Start your career as a walk-on. Go 3-13 your rookie season. Lead the league in interceptions. Take a perfect team and blow a perfect season. Spent 108 years as a lovable loser. Serena denied a shot in history by an unseen opponent. Be on the wrong side of the biggest upset in your sport. You really want to know the secret to victory. Come on, one more. Set. Yeah. Hard again. Make defeat your fuel. Make defeat your fuel. I think that Gatorade kind of commercial from 2017 is going to capture some of what we're going to talk about today. Making defeat our fuel. Recognizing that we follow a God who redeems and reconciles all things, who resurrects, makes our failure his victory. I'm Pastor Trevor. It is a joy to join y'all this morning. I'm the pastor at Good News Church just down the road, three and a half miles or so. Um, And I bring the prayers from my, my congregation here. And we pray each and every week that God would continue to be at work, that God would continue to open up hearts, and people might experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ through Rockbridge. So I want to say thank you to Pastor David. Um, One of the things that many of y'all know, we kind of share some ministries, and we're continuing to explore what God is calling us to do in that. doesn't make sense to kind of compete, but we think that we're part of the body of Christ. And so how can we share ministries? And so Pastor David and I agreed that maybe the month of February, we would share a sermon series, and we truly believe that God is launching both congregations out into the world to be on mission, to be on fire for Christ. And so that's what we're going to do over the month of February. Uh, David started y'all off last month, or last week. Uh, I'm here, and then David will uh, be at good news towards the end of the month. Um, So we started a sermon series called Launch last week about sharing the greatest news in the world to everyone we encounter. And to do so, we we started looking at Luke chapter 10. And in fact, we're going to use the whole month to really go through, I think, about 12 verses, um, really wrestling with Scripture and asking, who is God calling us to be? Who's God calling us to be? Pastor David shared the beginning of it where Jesus sends out the 70, not the 12, but he sends out 70 to go to the places that Christ himself wants to go. Jesus sends out 70 to do the ministry of Christ because he knows his time's coming to an end. Scripture says he has turned his face to Jerusalem. And so Jesus sends out 70 to do his work. And the problem, though, that I think many of us in church have is we hear Scripture like this. We use the whole month of February to wrestle with Scripture, and we think of it as a history lesson. We think of it as a story of what Jesus sent these 70 people to go do, and we don't hear our name in it. So over the whole month, I'm going to invite you, when you hear something about the disciples, put your name there. That God is speaking to me, Trevor, and sending me out into the world to share the good news. Put your name there. Hear that Christ 
is sending you to the places he wants to go today. Christ is sending us on mission, launching us on an impossible mission. In fact, last week we talked that Christ sends us as lambs among wolves, right? Kind of this impossible mission, this mission impossible. And so the question is, how do we go? If we're lambs among wolves, clearly how we do this matters. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue reading, beginning in verse 4. Hear these words. Carry no wallet. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Remind you, carry no wallet, no bag, or no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. If anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. And if not, your blessing will return to you. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are a couple things I want us to see this morning. Um, I don't know about Pastor David, but I'm a traditional kind of three-point pastor. So um, there are three points I want us to look at this morning. The first is this, is that we're called to travel light. We're called to travel light and bring only what's necessary. Look at verse 4. He says, carry no bag, no purse, no sandals. Carry only what's necessary. Travel light. And what, what, I've come to this realization. You'll see I've got kind of two bags here. I think in life there are kind of two types of people. If you're going on a trip, there are two types of people, right? There are those who overpack. You would be an overpacker, Josh. <laughs> and there are those who underpack. And inevitably, it seems like those two separate people are married to each other. <laughs> and we'll say they have friendly conversation of how much is really necessary, right? I'm not, I'm not ratting my wife out, but this might be her suitcase for most of our trips. This might be my bag for most of our trips. Just speaking out of experience here. And the overpackers, I mean... They've got six shoes, six pairs of shoes, sorry, and enough clothes for four changes a day and all of this stuff, right? The underpackers, inevitably I'm finding a Walgreens or a grocery store because I forgot deodorant or <laughs> toothbrush or something, right? We've got people like that in life too. But spiritually, we've got overpackers and we've got underpackers. There are people who spiritually, on their, their, their kind of journey of faith, they overpack, they put all of life in this thing, and they fill it with stress and anxiety. They fill it with prayers answered or not. They fill it with all sorts of experiences, and then happy-go-lucky people just kind of walk through life and not really value everything. And we don't have room to pack, so... Can't put anything in here. And spiritually, I think that's true, that we have people that kind of carry heavy burdens with them, and then some people that carry nothing. And I think Jesus is speaking to both of those people. See, it's hard to run the race before us if we're dragging a heavy load that, I'm not going to say my wife once had 80 pounds in it, but she might have had 80 pounds worth of on a flight. 
And it's hard to run the race if you're totally ill-prepared and you, you don't have your toothbrush and your deodorant. It's hard to do what God's calling us to if we pack too lightly. Whether we're weighed down or we're ill-prepared, it's hard to do to be launched into the world if we don't travel the way Christ calls us to. I did student ministry for several years and pray for Josh all the time because of it, but um, when I was in student ministry, I, every retreat, mission trip, even like day trip, I made sure we had a packing list. And on the top it said, bring nothing more and nothing less. Because always we'd be like on a mission trip in New Mexico where there's no grocery store or Walmart for 45 minutes and someone would forget something. But as I thought about us traveling on a journey of God calling us, launching us into the world, what is God calling us to pack? Nothing more and nothing less. So I came up with three things. The first is this, is that Christ calls us, when he launches us into the world, he calls us to pack our hunger. And I don't mean hunger, clearly I got some hunger, but I mean this hunger, this holy hunger. Christ calls us to pack a passion for those who are lost, for those who are least, for those who haven't experienced the love of Christ in their life. Christ calls us to pack a hunger. A fire should burn within us for those that don't know who Jesus Christ is. It should burn for the good news. We should have a hunger for that. Just this week I read a story, an autobiography, actually, of a gentleman who um, was caught embezzling. And he was sent for 18 months in a prison. Well, it wasn't just any prison. There's a prison that was also the last leper colony in the United States, in Louisiana, which, by the way, just shut down in 2015. And because it was kind of this interesting situation, they had a little more kind of freedoms than you would expect. Well, this leper, or this gentleman who was embezzling, was really ticked off at God because he got caught. He was ticked off at himself because he let him kind of let him do that. He knew he was broken and like any of us, he was just kind of angry. So one day, he thought to himself, what a better place to really get mad at God and he went to the chapel in the prison. Sat on the back row and kind of just looked at the cross. He had all sorts of thoughts kind of running through his mind but more than anything, he saw a gentleman up at the front. A gentleman who, it appeared, was literally eating his Bible. This prisoner eventually saw the pastor, the priest of the church, sit next to him. Finally, after watching this, left, or this guy up front literally kind of to this, the guy turned to the pastor and said, what is that dude doing? Has he completely lost it? Is he that crazy? Is he kind of that shut down? The pastor said, no. That man up there has leprosy and it's affected his eyes. In fact, it's affected his whole being. So much so that the only place he has feeling in his body is his tongue. 
And he desires so much to experience Christ that he would lick the pages of the Bible. When I read that story, I'm going to be honest with you, Josh knows this, I'm a crier, and I had some sweaty eyes, we'll put it that way. But I wondered, do we have that much hunger for the Word of God that we would literally lick the pages for it? That we desire, we're so desperate to hear from God that we would do anything to hear a word. See, I'm worried that you and I, we filled up on the junk food of life so much so that we're no longer hungry for the good stuff. That we've filled up on good experiences, on what I want to do, when I want to do it, that we don't care what God wants anymore. We've got to pack a hunger for the word of God, a hunger for people to experience Christ. Second thing we've got to pack is our failures. Our failures. And I don't mean like our failures in a way that reminds us of how messed up we are or how broken we are. I don't mean it that way. In fact, I think the video kind of captured what I mean, that our failures should fuel our victory. Our failures should remind us that we follow a God who redeems everything, that there's no sin, no brokenness too big for Christ to redeem. And so we pack our failures as a reminder of that. Two weeks ago, I had a reminder of it. Um, I was a fraternity guy at Southwestern in Georgetown, and let's just say we were a little rowdy. And there, I was at Starbucks on Walton Way just two weeks ago, and actually they asked me to hang some lockers for them. Long story short, but as I walk from the back of Starbucks, to go talk to the manager, she's standing in front of the cashier. See a gentleman, Joe DeLuca. You see, Joe was a uh, rival fraternity member, we'll just put it that way, and he and I may have had some heated conversations 10 years ago. He may have said some things that were not all Christ-like. As I saw Joe, there was almost like a pain, a, a flashback of all those experiences. And I couldn't look Joe in the face. And Joe said, Trevor? And I thought, oh, there are children in here. Darn. <laughs> and Joe and I began to talk. We began to share each other's story. One of Joe's parting things was that he said to me, crazy to see you in ministry. Crazy that God would take college Trevor and do something like that. It reminded me that our defeat can be our fuel. That our failures can be our fuel for Christ's victory. That what we've done doesn't have the last say, but know that we follow a God of reconciliation and redemption, of resurrection. That God can be at work through our failures. I want to share with you, y'all have seen some of these on Facebook, but people who have truly failed and God's done some incredible things. The first one, Walt Disney. Did you know he was fired from Kansas City Star because his editor felt he lacked imagination? And he had no good ideas. 
And did you know that Walt formed his first animation company in Kansas City in 1921? Made a deal with a distribution company in which he would ship them his cartoons to New York and he'd get paid six months later. Unsurprisingly, he was forced to dissolve his company because he couldn't pay his rent. And during that time, lived on dog food. Needless to say, God used his failure, right? Stephen King, whether you enjoy his books or horror, that whole genre or not, did you know his book, Carrie, was turned down by 30 publishers? In fact, he threw away the, the manuscript, and luckily his wife pulled it out of the trash bin and urged him one more time. We know where that went. Oprah. Oprah was born into a working class poverty, essentially. She was the daughter of a teenage mom. She herself became pregnant at 14. And even after she scored a job in journalism, things weren't always easy. Her first job in TV, the producer said she was unfit for television. Yeah, think about that guy, poor guy. Um, <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Harry Potter, right? We know everything about her. Kind of that rise, she wrote a story on napkins as she was a waitress. She was on a divorce and on welfare with a child to support at the time. All 12 major publishers in England rejected Harry Potter. Finally, a year later, one accepted it and gave her $1,500 for it. I think she did all right. Colonel Sanders, man after my own heart, it wasn't until the age of 62 that with a $105 Social Security check that he began to pitch his chicken recipe to all sorts of restaurants. He says that 1,009 restaurants rejected him. Instead of giving up, he hit the road to a restaurant in Utah. I think God used failure, even in Colonel Sanders, right? Wherever you are, pack your failure and know that Christ can redeem it. That Christ reconciles all of us. The third thing we need to pack is our faith. Our faith. Many of us, some of us know the scripture, the Pauline scripture, I've become all things to all people so that I might save some. It was, this feels like a weighty burden that we, we are launched into the world to save people. Seems crazy. Like, God, do you know who I am? Would you really send me? And yet, all Christ is asking is for your very best and to offer up the rest to him and to trust that he will be at work, that someone will experience his goodness through you. Because why? It's not your mission that he's sending you on. It's his. It's his. And so, if he, it's his mission, we have to trust that he'll be at work even if it doesn't make sense, even if we can't see it. Pack your hunger, pack your failure, and pack your faith. The second thing in our scripture this morning I want to see us to see is that Christ says, don't get distracted along the way. Don't get distracted. Jesus kind of seems like a jerk when he says, greet no one. 
on the journey, right? I grew up in West Texas, if you can't tell. Um, if you greet no one on the street, you don't take too kindly to that. <laughs> and yet Jesus says, greet no one, and you're like, what's going on here? And I think what Jesus is trying to say is don't get distracted by anything over here, but keep the mission, give the mission the utmost importance. Keep that in front of you at all times. It's easy to get kind of distracted, to lose sight of it, to, to think that, oh, I can just do this over here and still keep going forward. Sometimes we take right and left turns, and Jesus is saying, no, keep going, keep going. I mean, how many of us can get distracted spiritually? We hear a calling, we think Christ is calling us to go do this, and yet we say we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, and we come up with all these excuses of what we can't, why we can't do this. And we allow those things to distract us. I'm confessional time, I'm the king of it. I'm the king of it. I'm, a, I'm the king of overscheduling. If there are 15 minutes in between meetings or something, I'm going to find another meeting to have. And what happens is then I don't have any free time to do what Christ is actually calling me to do. Because, you know what, I think it's all about this, and yet I get distracted by the to-do list, the productivity, the efficiency, whatever it may be, and I find myself distracted. The reality is, often Danielle will say, my wife will say to me, what'd you do today? And outside of saying, I was in a lot of meetings. I don't have an answer. And I wonder if it's because I'm so distracted by all of this that I can't focus on Christ and Christ alone. Don't get distracted. Learn to prioritize. Learn to say no to the good, to be able to say yes to the better. No, 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 no. Learn to say no to the good, to be able to say yes to the God. The God at work in our midst. Don't get distracted. The third thing I think Christ is teaching his disciples, teaching us, is to learn that we're not in control. Learn we're not in control. I'm preaching to myself here. Josh, amen. <laughs> learn you're not in control. Look at verse 5 and 6 in your scripture. He says this, whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. If anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. But if not, your blessing will be returned to you. What he's saying is, you're, I'm launching you, I'm sending you out to do my work to minister to people, and yet there are going to be people who reject you or reject your message. You can't control their response. We can't make people believe or act like we want them to. In fact, coercion is probably the worst tool of evangelism ever. All we can do is witness and give testament to what God is doing. We're not in control. We're not in control. Do your best. If they respond, great. If not, keep going. Keep going. You're being launched into the world. The reality is, is the world wants us to believe that we can be independent. 
that the more power, the more influence we have, the more control we have, right? And yet Christ comes with a countercultural message. The deeper you go, the more you realize you're not in control, and the more you realize you're not in control, the more you say, Christ, I need you. You realize, Christ, I can't do this. I need a Savior. Christ, I can't even do the mission you're calling me to. And in that very moment, that's when Jesus says, good, you get it. I can actually be at work. And that's the moment of miracles. That's where revival happens. That's where neighborhoods are revitalized, where families come back together and there's reconciliation. That's the place of love and grace. When we confess, God, I can't do it. And we allow Jesus to be at work. You and I are called on a mission. A mission impossible. The question is, how are you going to go about it? How are you going to go about it? Will you pack faith and failures? Will you pack hunger for others to experience it? Will you be open to God? Would you pray with me? Merciful and gracious God, you call us on this crazy mission. You launch us into the world that desperately needs to experience you. And yet it's so easy in our world to get distracted by the, all the good things around us. It's easy to kind of carry heavy loads or overpack for this mission, or it's easy to even underpack. God, help us be faithful. Help us be faithful in the way we go about this. Launch us with the confidence and the boldness to say, I follow the Christ that redeems this world. And I want you to experience that too. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen.